Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I was told a story once upon a time about Peter Vesey, the Hall of Fame NBA writer, TV analyst, and newsbreaker. His Hoop Du Jour notes column in the New York Post was a must-read back in the day, and I believe that he has restarted it for the NBA Retired Players Association, if I'm not mistaken. In any case, uh, there might have been guys who wore all three hats once upon a time and became the man doing it before Peter, but he was the first that I know of. His heyday was back before cell phones, texting, and the internet. I'm going to say the 80s. Anyway, Peter called an executive he knew on the Indiana Pacers to check out a rumor he'd heard about a possible trade. He got the executive's voicemail at his office and left a message. The executive called him back the next day and told him there was nothing to the rumor. According to the executive who told me this story, Peter said, I'm so glad you didn't call me back yesterday, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to write it. To be fair, Peter might have been joking. I don't know. The reason I'm telling the story is because of what I want to start this podcast with. A coaching carousel scenario that came up talking to one of my league sources earlier today about who might fill the Boston Celtics head coaching position now vacant with GM Danny Ainge retiring and head coach Brad Stevens moving to the front office as his replacement the chances of my scenario happening now were diminished greatly by the Mavs winning game five against the Clippers but I'm going to share it anyway for two reasons one it'll give you a glimpse into how reporters go about spitballing their way to getting a scoop and two the thought of it happening is just too much not to entertain now i'm not in the business of looking to break news so let's be clear i'm not suggesting that this thing is going to happen 
No one's paying me to break news, and the satisfaction of being first by a couple minutes is just not great enough for the work required. But sometimes my curiosity prompts me to reach out to someone just to get a feel for what might be going on, so that what I do speak on uh, in my analysis on FS1 or anywhere else is informed. So I reached out to a source to see what names he'd heard connected to the Boston opening. He surprised me by suggesting Mavs coach Rick Carlisle could be a possibility. Because if the Clippers won four in a row after losing the first two games of the series, Carlisle's lease on the job in Dallas, forged by winning the 2011 NBA title, might have finally run out. Maybe some of you are thinking, what? Carlisle? Out after coaching essentially a one-man team to the fifth seed? Luke Walton keeps his job in Sacramento and Carlisle loses his? On what planet? Well, the NBA one, because it's all about expectations, ownership expectations. I could give you any number of coaches who had 50 win seasons and were subsequently fired. Lionel Hollins in Memphis, Mark Jackson, Golden State. It's become a thing. And expectations are raised when you win the first two games of a series on the opposing team's home floor. Expectations are raised when suddenly the defending champion Lakers look like they might be vulnerable or unable to make it out of the first round, leaving the field wide open. Expectations are raised when they haven't been met since 2011, with the Mavs getting to the playoffs five times in the subsequent nine years, but not making, out of, making it out of the first round once. So, as of 24 hours ago, it looked as if Carlisle potentially being set free by the Dallas Mavericks had legs, as we like to say in the business. And if he were, the Boston Celtics would make all the sense in the world. Now, I'll add what made this extra delicious is the fact that when I look at the odds makers and their list of who's going to be the next head coach of the Boston Celtics, Carlisle's name was nowhere to be found. But Rick Carlisle is a Celtic alum, drafted in the third round by the Celtics in the 1984 draft. He spent five seasons in the NBA as a player, the first three with Boston, and was part of their 1986 championship team. And maybe you've noticed, the Celtics have a thing about hiring their former players to be their head coach. By my count, the franchise has had 17 head coaches in its history, and seven of them, Bill Russell, Tommy Heinsohn, Chris Ford, Tom Sanders, Casey Jones, Dave Cowens, and ML Carr, all played at one point for the team before being named its head coach. Carlisle also, obviously, would be the kind of coach you could sell to the Boston fans as being one able to take the talent of the team to the next level, in spite of his recent postseason failures in in Dallas. No one, other than Cuban maybe, has looked at one of Carlisle's teams and thought they underachieved. Carlisle also went to school at the University of Maine and is from New York originally, so it would be a homecoming of sorts for him to move back to the Northeast. Considering where he is in his life and career, 
I could easily see him liking the idea of completing the circle and finishing up in the NBA where he started. See why the idea of this happening was so enticing, even though I have no concrete reason to believe that it will? Here's the second part of why Carlisle moving on to Boston would be so sweet. Because it would open up the Mavericks job for one of their alums, Jason Kidd. Now, earlier this season, I was told Carlisle and Doncic were not seeing eye to eye. It would appear they have, a, they have patched things up, but Carlisle likes to dictate how his team plays, and Doncic, Doncic obviously likes being a floor general and making his own reads and decisions. I can see where that might cause a bit of friction between the two. Jason Kidd, having been a very similar point guard in his day as Luka, would have no problem giving him whatever latitude he would be looking for. And again, this would be about bringing home someone who has... Uh, who was, was as much a part of that 2011 title as Carlisle was, Jay being the, the point guard of that team. It also gives Jason the opportunity to come full circle, having been drafted by the Dallas Mavericks. I could spend more time on this, and if the Clippers had won Game 5, I might have. But I want to turn my attention now to that Game 5 loss. I don't often disagree with Warriors forward Draymond Green, but I found his analysis on TNT sitting in for Charles Barkley of why the Mavs won five off in a major way. In essence, Draymond said that the Mavs game plan worked because Reggie Jackson made six of 12 threes and Paul George made seven of 14. His point being that the Mavs forced Reggie Jackson to beat them because they knew Paul George could and Reggie couldn't. I'm not buying that. Not at all. One, because of how the Clippers won game four. And I think I illustrated this in the previous podcast. It was by PG and Kawhi doing less, not more, making room for Reggie Jackson to actually take more threes than PG in game four. The balance of the team and the shots that PG and Kawhi took, they only took 40% of the shots in Game 4. That's the lowest percentage of shots in the entire series, and it was the most decisive win. I believe it's the way that the Clippers must play in order to take advantage of their superiority overall against the Dallas Mavericks. Kawhi Leonard... Paul George going one-on-one against a set defense, that's not going to be as successful as taking advantage of your superior three-point shooting around the horn from Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, etc. I also, I can't recall a single time Paul George won a playoff game by taking over in the final minutes. Now, it might have happened. I'm sure it happened in Indiana once or twice, but not enough for me to count on it. What I saw as the downfall of the Clippers in Game 5 is precisely that PG tried to take over down the stretch, going one for four with two turnovers in the final six minutes. Make no mistake, PG is immensely talented, but there's a reason he plays so erratically in spite of all that talent. 
and it's his decision making. You never know when his patience for sticking with what is working will run out and he'll just decide to try something on his own to see if it works. And I don't know about you, but I don't see, he's again, he's one of those players who, when I think, what where's he trying to get to? What's his sweet spot? It's almost like his talent works against him. He's so capable because of his size and skill and athleticism, he can almost get to anywhere he wants to on the court. But as a result, he's never developed that go-to sweet spot that he wants to get to where you know if he gets to it now you're in his torture chamber I haven't seen that from Paul George and I certainly didn't see it in this game here's a very simple example of what I mean about the decision making and cry if you want that it's just one possession out of 90 some in a game but it's possessions or decisions like this that make the difference between winning and losing playoff games, between maintaining the momentum and having it switch. Now, the Clippers had just clawed their way out of a 12-point hole, cutting the difference to four with just over four minutes to play. And they did it by moving the ball, attacking the rim, and getting to the free throw line thanks to getting the Mavs in early foul trouble. I don't know the exact time that they got into the bonus, but it was early. PG gets the rebound after a missed jumper by Doncic. Starts a fast break and pulls up for a three-pointer at the top of the arc. On the break. Down by four. With three minutes and 46 seconds left in the game. Why? Why go for broke there? You are in the bonus you made your way back into the game with free throws and shots within four feet of the rim. You're tiring the Mavs out by making them move on defense. You're tiring Luka out by making him play defense for 20-some seconds. That's been the formula. Oh, and you're not Steph, and you haven't hit a pull-up three on the break all night. But now... We're going to decide to take that shot. And of course he missed it. And then Terrence Mann fouled Luka Doncic on the rebound. Side note. Seeing decisions like this probably irks me a little more than usual right now. Because I've had to watch high school players. Who I suspect have been emboldened by watching NBA players make the same illogical decisions. And surprisingly their coaches not doing anything about it. It's egregious. It's, it's just, it's, it's losing basketball, bottom line. The next possession, PG turned it over. The possession after that, he got his shot blocked by Dorian Finney-Smith. The Mavs expanded their lead back to seven. This is the guy, according to Draymond, the Mavs feared would beat them by having the ball in his hands? I'm going to have to ask Draymond the next time I see him to explain further because I'm not, I'm not getting it. The Clippers still nearly won the game because they got back to moving the ball and trusting each other. Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson both burying threes. Doncic was doing the same for the Mavs, trusting Tim Hardaway Jr. and Kristaps Porzingis to knock down threes of their own. 
Kawhi Leonard then got back to doing what the Clippers had been doing, attacking the rim for a three-point play the old-fashioned way. Ty Lue, however, decided to trust PG one more time. After a Terrence Mann steal with 39 and a half seconds left and the Clippers down 101 to 100, PG brought the ball up court. Lou did not call a timeout. There was no reason to try to attack the basket because the Mavs already had a few guys back. But PG passed it ahead to Mann, who, I'm going to say in his youthfulness, thought he saw a crease to the basket. For me, it's on PG not to put that decision in Terrence's hands. It's on Lou, in my opinion, not to put that decision in PG's hands either. The crease closed up. Mann had to make a desperate kickout pass to Nicholas Batum, who, surrounded by Mavs, couldn't get a contested layup to fall. Game over. Series over? We'll see. As of now, my conjured-up coaching carousel is pretty much done, and that's the thing I was most excited about today. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I know you've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. It matters. matters to my sponsors. I love hearing from you. I like knowing exactly how well we're doing. And I believe it moves us up the charts. And I feel as if this podcast deserves to be a little higher on the basketball charts than it is as of today. Your assistance in making that rise possible would be much appreciated. You guys know what we have tomorrow. We're in the the next slate of games. Suns at Lakers, game six. What condition will Contavious Caldwell Pope be in? Will Anthony Davis suit up? Will we see more from LeBron James than we did in game five? What's the condition of Chris Paul after re-stinging that stinger in his shoulder in the third quarter of Game 5. There's going to be a lot to watch, a lot to talk about, and we will do it here. But in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.